Welcome to the 13th episode of Back to Basics, a podcast dedicated on getting you educated on the basics of life and beyond. My name is Maggie Windsor and I'm your host for today's episode. Today we are looking into part two of our economic series. We will delve deeper into the topic and offer a broader understanding of these economic systems and issues. Because whether you like it or not, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're being part of the economic systems that run our world and hang all of our lives in the balance. Let's get back to basics. reason for wealthy countries is productivity. Productivity is the ability to produce more output per worker per hour. For example, US workers earn 18 times more than Bangladeshi workers because they produce 18 times more the amount of output. Technology has increased output almost universally. The average US worker earns 8 times more than their ancestors because of the new technology. But productivity has limits. US GDP per capita has been increasing for decades, but median family income has stayed the same. This is in part because as the world has been getting richer, the gap between the rich and the poor has also been growing. Productivity is limited to poor people because you need food, water, shelter, plumbing, hospitals, and medicine to increase productivity. Building on this, here are some key factors of productivity. The first is land, aka all the natural resources involved. The second is labor. You need ample amounts of people to increase productivity. And the third is capital. Capital can represent itself in many forms. There's physical capital that involves machines, factories, infrastructure, and then there's human capital, which is knowledge, education, and skill of the workers. School works to develop human capital. Technology in economics is defined as the sum of knowledge and information that a society has acquired to produce goods and services. This is linked to productivity because connectivity equals productivity. Technology is another reason the US produces more than Bangladesh. They have an increase in factories, workers, and computers. Organization of these resources can increase in productivity and output too. All of this talk about productivity brings it back to wealth. Productivity equals wealth, which equals higher standard of living, thus answering why richer countries are happier. We will move on to our next topic, purchasing power. Purchasing power is the amount of physical goods and services that can be bought with a specific amount of money, which is linked to inflation. Inflation is linked to another market phenomenon called bubbles. Unfortunately, there are no soapy balls of air, but a surge in asset price levels. Let me explain. Bubbles is defined as a market phenomenon characterized by surges in asset prices to levels significantly above fundamental value of that asset. Bubbles are determined by something called the Consumer Price Index, or CPI. CPI is a statistical estimate constructed using prices of a sample of representative items whose prices are collected periodically. You find this by picking a base list of items food, rent, gasoline, bread. Picking a base year and then substituting this into an equation with the current year. The equation looks like this. CPI equals the basket cost of goods each year divided by the basket cost of goods in the base year times 100. Now we will talk about inflation, something that affects our everyday life more than you would think. Inflation is an increase in currency supply relative to the number of people using it, resulting in rising prices of goods and services over time. Inflation is linked heavily to CPI because CPI is a way of discovering how much prices have inflated over the past years. A way to discover how much inflation has grown over time, historians and economists rely on quote-unquote real prices, which are prices from the past that are adjusted for inflation. So sure, a candy bar from the 50s might have cost 50 cents, but 50 cents back then could buy you the same amount as say $5 now. So the quote-unquote real price of candy bar in the 50s is $5 using this logic. The opposite of real prices is nominal prices. Nominal prices are prices not adjusted for inflation. Because of these differences, you cannot compare real and nominal prices. 
And since we have to keep the basket the same over time, a traditional CPI won't adjust for inflation or an increase in general quality. This makes the job of figuring out how much our economy has inflated a lot harder. Now governments use adjustment practices to account for these changes in tech and quality. Another set of concepts linked to inflation is demand pull and cost push inflation. Let me elaborate. Demand pull inflation, put simply, is too much money chasing too few goods, while cost push inflation or supply shock results in producers raising prices or producing less because of an increase in production costs. Moving on to the next concept, or more so, an amalgamation of many. First, we will start with a financial term, speculation. Speculation is trading financial instruments involving high risk, an expectation of significant returns. This is similar to betting your house on someone winning the lottery. You could win $10 million, but you could also lose your house. On to another term. Now we will talk about ninja loans. Ninja loans means loans to people with no income, home, or assets. Our next term is recessionary gap. A recessionary gap is a situation wherein the real GDP is lower than potential GDP at full employment level. Meanwhile, the inflammatory gap is the amount by which actual growth domestic product, GDP, exceeds potential full employment. Fiscal policy is a way governments adjust spending levels and tax rates to monitor and influence a country's economy. Fiscal policy is different subgroups, but we are going to focus on two, contradictory fiscal policy and classical theories. First, we will talk about contradictory fiscal policy. Contradictory fiscal policy is enacted by the government to reduce money supply and ultimately the spending of a company. Many classical theories assume that the economy will fix itself in the long run, and the government intervention will, at best, lead to unintended consequences and at worst cause massive inflation and debt. What do you think will happen if the government intervenes when the economy is crashing? Will it exacerbate the issue or be the saving grace? Now we're going to talk about some more government economic terms. Our first is deficit spending. Deficit spending is when the government spends more money than it collects in tax revenue. This can happen for multiple reasons, but changes in how money is spent and managed by the government is a whole other episode. Meanwhile, budget deficit is the amount in which government spends exceeds its income over a particular period of time. Debt is the accumulation of budget deficits. In the same way our GDP grows every year, due to population growth and productivity increase, our ability to sustain debt grows along with our income. One way money changes is how it's spent through crowding out. Crowding out is where increased public sector spending replaces or drives down private sector spending. Keynesian economists maintain that crowding out is only a problem if the economy operates at full capacity, aka where all the workers are employed and were producing as much as they could. The next economic term is austerity. Austerity is when the government raises taxes and cuts government spending to reduce debt. In the crisis of 2008, austerity was the main policy at the EU, which led to worse results than deficit spending policy in the US. The multiplier effect is the initial increase of government spending of $100 that might turn out to be $175 worth of actual spending in the economy. Here's an example. The local government invests $100 in the local pizza shop. The pizza shops start producing more pizza, raising sales, and increasing pizza tax. The more people come into the community for pizza, the more money they're making off of the sales tax, making their $100 investment turn out to be $400 worth of spending money for the pizza shop owner. When economy is booming, the multiplier effect is close to 1. When the economy is in recession, it's close to around 2. Spending on infrastructure and aid to local state governments also seem to have a fairly high multiplier, about 1.5. But general cuts to payroll income seem to have a multiplier about 1. The government cuts $100 in taxes, the economy will grow by about $100. Moving on to the next government term, default. The default is the investors who loaned the government money, lost billions, and then the government lost all its credibility and it caused massive recession. This is what happened to the Greece government. The economy collapsed, investors lost billions, and no one would loan Greece money to get back on its feet, scared they would lose it. If a country defaults, it's in big trouble. 
The second term is debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is the limit on the amount of national debt that can be issued by the U.S. Treasury. All of this money comes from something called the Federal Reserve, at least in the U.S. In Europe, its main central bank is appropriately named European Central Bank. Most central banks have two jobs. To one, regulate and oversee the nation's commercial banks by making sure the banks have enough money in reserve to avoid bank runs. And to number two, conduct monetary policy, which is an increasing or decreasing the money supply to speed up or slow down the economy. Now we are moving on to more terms. This term coming up is one you will hear quite often and it is very important in banking. This is interest rate. The interest rate, put simply, is the price of borrowing money. When interest rates are low, borrowers find it easier to pay back bank loans so they will borrow more and spend more. When interest rates are high, borrowers borrow less and spend less. Central banks will use interest rates in something called expansionary monetary policy to increase money supply. Let me explain. Expansionary policy is when central banks want to speed up the economy. It will lead to an increase in the money supply, which will decrease rates and lead to more borrowing and spending. This is the opposite of contradictory monetary policy, which is when central banks want to slow down the economy. To do this, they decrease the money supply. Less money available will increase interest rates and decrease borrowing and spending. Now we are moving on to one of our last concepts, liquid assets. Let me break it down. An asset is something or someone of any value, any portion of one's property or effects. A liquid asset is an asset that can be converted quickly and with minimal impact to the price received. Gold, cash, or savings account is all liquid assets. A normal asset or one that is not liquid would be a priceless piece of artwork or a handbag. The next term is open market operations. This is when the Federal Reserve buys or sells short-term government bonds. When central banks can no longer buy long-term assets from banks, it is called quantitative easing, QE. Here's where we'll stop in our quest of understanding economics. If you would like to hear more about economics, please contact me at Bath to Basics on Instagram. Economics is a concept that governs most of our actions, whether or not you're aware of it. Building a better understanding of these systems not only heightens your awareness, but may help you in the future navigating jobs and business opportunities. Thank you for listening to the 13th episode of Back to Basics. If you would like to learn more, check out my Instagram at Back to Basics Insta or my YouTube channel at Back to Basics. Have a nice day!